Hello, and welcome to Building High Performance Cultures, a weekly series where we talk to executives from top organizations about how they built high performance cultures and how they're leveraging their culture as competitive advantage. I'm Marty Parker, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Waterstone Human Capital, and my guest today is none other than the President and Chief Executive Officer of Metrolinks, Bill Verster. Bill, welcome to Building High Performance Cultures. Thanks, Marty. It's great to be here. Terrific to have you. Now, Phil is the president and CEO at Metrolinks, where he oversees a team committed to the transformation of transportation in the greater Toronto and Hamilton area. And this is no small objective. Prior to joining Metrolinks, Phil was one of the UK's rail leaders, having managed train operations, infrastructure builds, and infrastructure management for passenger rail systems in England, Scotland, and Ireland. Now, Phil is an engineer by training, and he began his career in the electricity sector in his native South Africa, if you haven't already guessed that. But from 2001 to 2003, he was the depot manager and production director for a UK division of a company we know well, Bombardier Rail. And in 2003, Phil moved up from the supply, over from the supplier side to the passenger rail operations at Southeastern Trains. He then spent five years at Irish Rail where he served in different roles, including deputy CEO. Now in 2011, Phil joined British, Britain's Network Rail, where he pioneered a new approach to structured continuous improvement that delivered improved safety and train performance, as well as an enhanced passenger experience. Now Phil has a bachelor's of engineering and master's of engineering, both from the University of Stellenbosch in South Africa. I was saying earlier, we could spend the half hour probably talking about wine, <laughs> but he also has an MBA from the University of Newcastle Business School and an LLM postgraduate diploma in commercial law from the University of Northumbria, both in the UK. Now, Phil, Metrolinks is a three-time Canada's Most Admired Cultures winner in 2012, 2015, and again in 2019. But we'd love you to kick us off by describing the culture that's been built at the organization and how your role is... Uh, uh, you know, plays out as in culture as the president and CEO. You know, Marty, there are two things for me in terms of cultures that, that really matter, um, uh, organizational cultures. The first one is trust. And, and that's a difficult one and a challenging one to achieve. And, and you, you, you have as a CNO, CEO, you have to put a lot of effort into figuring out how to build trust in your organization. Um, and the second thing for me that I've always felt, and maybe it's the engineer in me, but you've got as a management team, you've got to be very uh, professional. You've got to drive standards in your business that are professional standards. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, you can't just have a suite of KPIs. Um, you've got to have a balanced scorecard. You can't just have um, a, a verbal commitment to engagement. You have to get down and dirty and do the right stuff to fix your organization and to make sure that there's true engagement and true listening. Um, and, 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 and I think those two things are bringing a business-focused professionalism to your organization and, and then focusing on how you day-to-day, everyday build trust is crucial. Agreed. Agreed. Now, how does being a government agency 
impact your culture or change the way, yeah. the way that you approach culture, Phil? Oh man, that is such a big question. That's such a big question. And, I, and I'll tell you, I've been here three years now um, and, 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 and we've set about to change our organization dramatically uh, because as a crown agency, you can either think of yourself as part of government or you can think of yourself as a business. And I 100% favor us thinking as a business and behaving as a business. And that meant that we have put in huge changes in terms of what we do and, and, and sort of uh, creating very good KPIs, very good direction and engaging our people very differently to what we've done before. And, and this links to this trust thing, Marty. I'll give you an example. Um, we started when I arrived here to, to three times a year we get all of our um, teams, top teams. So that's one out of every four people in the organization into what we call a leadership town hall three times a year, where we talk about everything and anything that is important to the leadership teams. Then all of those leadership teams do town halls with their own people. Um, and, and in the beginning, it was sort of telling people what was happening. And we transitioned it over the three years to more listening of what is going on and what's not going on and what should be going on. And I can give you the best example um, in, uh, in the joy, in, 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 our, in, in this awful period of the George Floyd incident south of the border. Um, I hosted a, a, a town hall uh, via Teams or Zoom with everyone in the company, everyone. So everyone, and four and a half thousand people um, could call in. Now, obviously we have bus drivers and crews, train crews that are, so not, so people, some people were operationally involved. And we talked as an organization about systemic racism. Um, we talk about unconscious bias. We talk about what needs to be done um, with anti-black racism and, and, and how do we address that? And, and, and how do we, how do we figure out as an organization um, we, who of us understands it and who of us um, think, think differently and, and, and need to be engaged? This takes, this takes um, I, I think this takes, this takes effort, this takes real effort, but it's important. Um, and that affects the fabric of who you are now, you, you know, how you approach these things. Absolutely. And serious issues to discuss, but I think quite fascinating that it really was about listening uh, through this, through this uh, uh, town hall. Now, speaking of communication, you know, what are some of the challenges of building and communicating a cohesive culture when your team is so dispersed? How have you kind of managed to work through these challenges? Yeah. Do you know what? Um, many, many years ago, when I took on one of my first sort of leadership roles, um, I, I had a CEO that asked me the following question. He said to me, Phil, what's the best way to communicate? And, and, I, and I had all of these answers about, you know, internal communications, messaging. And he said to me, no, none of that's the right answer. The best way to communicate is by doing. Just do. If you do, you're going to get a result. If you do, there's nothing that speaks louder than your actions. And so what we have done, um, 
you know, and I've been in many organizations where we've had sort of engagement programs and how do we engage your employees and da da da, and it's like list and list of actions. And what I've seen in my time in the last 10 years or so, what works best is you come up with five things, four or five things that you just do continuously. And we call those the five leadership actions. And, and they are things like um, hold monthly meetings about your business KPIs, hold your one-to-ones, walk the floor, um, get around, walk the floor, talk to people. Um, uh, 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 hold, your, hold your town hall meetings. And then the, the fifth and last one is as leaders, hold coffee mornings. We call it coffee mornings. It's basically informal gatherings where you say to everyone, hey, hey folks, I'm, uh, I'm, in the, I'm in the reception area. There's 15 chairs. I'll be there on Wednesday morning. Any topic goes, come and, just come and have a coffee with me. And so we've taken those five things and we've done that relentlessly. Um, we, we hold, we hold uh, best practice learning sessions amongst the teams. We get the teams to present to us. We get people from their teams to present to us and we focus on those leadership actions. And, and I, I give you a sense of this, our employee engagement score, and we're humble about this. So I don't wanna, don't wanna make this um, as if we are proud Yeah, we're not. But our employee engagement score is typically always around the 70, 70 or just about 70 percent. And in the in, in, in about a year ago, we got it to 78 percent. And in the beginning of the pandemic, we are now up to 84 percent employee engagement. So that's 84 percent of our people that say on a five score quadrant, they it's it's good or it's great. The two top scores on a five score quadrant. Um, um, to be engaged with us. And, and, and we take this seriously. Um, uh, we, we take these feedback seriously. The score is less relevant than the fact that the comments we get that are uncomfortable from that score are the best value. Mm. Is to go and figure out what are, what are those singular things that are still not resonating. And you know why I think these five things are, this is why I'm convinced this is the only way to work with people and to build trust in your culture is that, you know, we are all really, really busy. And engagement and culture is not built by rules. You know, it's built, it's built by natural behaviors. It, it must be second nature for you to listen and if it's not second nature for you to listen, you're not going to listen. And so what we're trying to do with the five leadership actions um, is to, to, to make it second nature. And, and Marty, then your question about communication is answered in the best possible way. If my leadership stick to those five actions, they will, communication would come naturally. Right. And, and you talk clearly about doing and having it be authentic. Oh, right? man. It's got to be. got to be. It's got to right. be. Now, you know, we often in our world of executive search talk and specifically at Waterstone where recruiting for fit is our mantra. So we talk about recruiting for fit and the important role in having the right people um, plays in culture and performance. But, but you're in a very unique position where you have a number of appointees and I'm specifically thinking about your board where, you know, you have appointees appointed by an order in council. So, so how do you, or do you, even ensure cultural alignment within this group, Phil? Yeah, so 
you know, if I, if I think of what we have done in the last three years, um, I've, I've seen how people that have been in my organization for 10 years have adjusted behaviors and have aligned with, I would call it the, the momentum that we've created in our organization. Um, and, and, and my chair um, is fantastic, Don Wright. He is 100% um, um, the same ilk and the same culture and spirit as I am. And Don therefore guides the board in a, in a fantastic way to, to deliver the same. And, and you know, Marty, I, I don't know how to, this is very unscientific and probably never make it to a Harvard Business Review um, article, but I don't know how to explain it in any other way. But if, if the river is flowing in a certain direction and the river, river is flowing strongly, uh, you, you swim with the river. And, and this is what we find in our organization. So I, I think there's a risk when you try to just recruit for fit because you may recruit for fit in ways that are not as constructive. You, you know, I recruit anyone that wants to be great, anyone that wants to listen, anyone that wants to help. And, and I, I, you know, as long as they fit with that, then they'll fit into our, our river and our activities. Understood. You've got to have people, Marty, if I just say this, in a culture of trust, you've got to have people that can easily and openly disagree with each other. That's, that's, the, re that's the real nugget, golden nugget of a successful culture for me, is that, that trust culture you create where people can say, whoa, stop, this is going in the wrong direction, or say, hang on, guys, we, hang on, folks, we need to do more of this then, you know, this is what we need. We, we, we need that challenge. And, and then it becomes a real lively organization. Agreed. I, I recently heard it said that healthy disagreement is, is important, but so is, but disagreement is also healthy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I yeah. would go further. I would say, look, I've got a really complex portfolio. Um, give you a sense of this. Um, in the next 10 years, I've got a 58 billion, and that's billion with a B, um, capital program. Um, we have an annual operating budget, which is 1.2 billion for our uh, Presto Go, uh, Go Rail, Go, um, Go Bus, and our Up Express. We've got a huge operation, um, and in a complex organization, you want every every ounce of innovation, every ounce of challenge, and every possible message. Um, that can help you to stay on track. And, and therefore you need, you need a culture that's very open and lively. 100% agree. Now in the last few years, your team has changed the way you communicate your brand, both in terms of your employer brand, but also your consumer brand. What role did your culture play in this decision, Phil? And, and perhaps how has this shift affected your culture? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, Marty, the best example I can give you is, is, is one of the biggest changes that we've made is um, culture-wise, philosophically, transit organizations, my view of the world, transit organizations have to be obsessed about two things. 
if they're obsessed about these two things, they'll get everything right. The two things they need to be obsessed about is firstly, safety. Transit organizations that do not deliver a safe product and safety of their customers and societies is in trouble. And the second thing that you need to be obsessed about is customer focus and customer excellence and customer experience. And, and so, 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 so we've internalized that in our culture. And now if you look at in COVID-19, what was our response? Our marketing response. Our marketing response was health and safety of you, the customer. Our operational response was health and safety of you, the customer. We created um, 16 um, health kiosks at 16 of our stations. Health kiosks where a customer can just walk up and get a temperature check. Um, where we demonstrate to them how our cleaning agents work, where we give them advice on how to deal with COVID. Uh, same advice government gives, obviously, and the health officials give. But I think what's important, therefore, our response to COVID reflected our culture. Our marketing response to COVID, our messaging reflected our culture. Um, and, and our culture is that central piece of you, the customer, is who we're obsessed about, and your health and safety is foremost. Very good. Now, you talk, we talked a little bit about diversity, but I know how diversity and inclusion are a key focus for your team, and that you've had a strategic objective of improving gender balance across the senior management team. But what I'm really curious to know is what are some of the ways you're approaching this, and what have you learned through? Yeah, yeah, it's a good one, huh? Um yeah, three years ago, uh, we had something like in our top leadership, 24% of our senior leaders were, were women. Uh, and I set ourselves a target to by 2021 um, to have 50%. Um, and, and, and we are now in April 2021, we're targeting to be at 42%. Uh, we're currently at 39 and I track it every month. And, and we're making our way there. So we've gone from 24 to 39%. And, and, and people ask me, say, but why? What, what's the issue? Um, what's wrong? I mean, why do we have to do this? Um, and you know, there are, diff there are so many articles out there and so many business, topic, business views on it, but I can just say, hand on heart, whenever I had a diverse team, with naysayers, yaysayers, innovators, first, first, uh, first takers, slow movers, whatever the mix. <laughs> when I've had a diverse team with more gender balance and more minority group representation, those teams are always better. You can, there's no science, science it's just better. And so, so the type of things we've done is, you know, some job descriptions write is written in a way which just attracts uh, men with 15 years of experience in it. Because we write a job description in a way which have an inherent bias to it without realizing it. And so we've, we've taken those job descriptions and revisited them. We've taken our selection panels and on all of our selection panels, we've, um, we've now got an even mix of, of of men and women on, on those panels. We are now insisting that all of our senior top recruits are even balanced in terms of a candidate spread, which is really challenging because in some of our, some of our activities like construction management is not a natural traditional 
um, field that women have participated in. But now we send away our search agents to go and find women wherever they, wherever they can. And I think you have to do these deliberate types of things. And we set ourselves a target, 50% of, um, of recruits have to be women now, 50% flat out, it has to be, and we track it every month. And, 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 and so we get asked questions by people organizations say, but look, is this uh, inverse bias or is this unfair what you're doing? Um, and, and, and the simple way that I do, that I just play it back at our people and our team is, um, this is perhaps the best way of being fair. Um, and, and, and this is important for us as a business. And this is important therefore for all of us that we get the best possible business, which is a business which is diverse and inclusive. Agreed. Now, how has Metrolinx been managing through the COVID-19 pandemic so far? And, and again, linking culture to it, what role has culture played in getting you through some of these incredibly challenging times? Yeah, it's been it's it's been really um, it's been a, a really big factor for us. Uh, I'll 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 give you a sense of it. Um, the fact that we've got an, an open an open culture meant that we could listen, and I, I was not convinced. I must tell you, I was not convinced. Uh, my team came to me, and I remember that vividly. Um, on the 14th of January and said to me, Phil, there's something here that we need to kick off. Um, and I said, well, seriously, uh, is, 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 is this real? And, and by the 26th, um, we had everything lined up and we kicked off our pandemic response, 26th of January. That was before there was anything on the ground over here. And we bought equipment and we pre-stocked and, and we were ready when others were thinking, um, that we were overreacting. Um, and I think for me, that's the type of thing that gave me a sense of, you know, the fact that we're listening and can listen whenever anyone speaks helps. Within two weeks, we had all of our office-based workers working from home, everyone. Um, in July, um, I started to talk at, at my town halls to people about need to come back into the office, um, into teams, because there's a certain, the way I put it is we are social creatures and we live and succeed, not on our own, but how we work in teams. And, I, and I'm missing all of you um, working together in teams and, and people responded and we've changed our team structure, how we deal with Zoom and teams. And people said to me, Phil, we're not ready to come back in July. And we said, okay, if you're not ready, then we're gonna take more time and we listen to you carefully and we've extended. We've now extended the return to work till early, early January of next year. And so I think what's been really crucial is, and, and when, I don't wanna say Marty, just, just maybe just mention this now. I don't wanna say we've got the perfect culture. We haven't, we can do more. We can always do better, but I've got a, I've just got a sense that if we keep on doing what we're doing by listening to our people and working with our people, this, this will just get to a richer and a stronger organization. And even though you, you can probably sense that I am very passionate about the things that I think we're doing right, 
I still think there's so much more we can do. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer. When I was a, a more junior manager and when I started out as an engineer, boots on the ground, walking the floor, talking to people, really listening. It's, that's, that's humbling. And you have to do that as a leader all of the time. Otherwise, you're going to lose track of people. Now, we tried to do that throughout the pandemic. And I think it stood us in reasonably good stead. Our people are really engaged still with their tasks. I get people, people are saying to me they've never worked as hard. They get things done. I'm now on, on Zoom and Teams calls. Feels like 25 hours a day. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's the way of the world now. No, it absolutely is. And it is uh, more taxing and challenging than it's ever been for leaders, uh, for sure. It's a different uh, way of doing things. And uh, yeah. when you're listening, you really got to listen actively and find the empathy uh, in a way that we've never done before uh, when we're in person for the most part. So certainly uh, we can all appreciate, all appreciate that. Now, looking ahead, Bill, what do you see as in the future is critical to aligning your people to your culture, but also in attracting new talent to, to continue to build this high performance culture at Metrolinx? You know, I see changes. I see changes in the workforce. I see changes in how people approach their careers. I see a younger generation out there um, that's not looking for a 15 year career. Um, that's looking for, uh, for an opportunity to make an impact in a five-year window. Um, and, I, and, and I have people that work in different parts of my organization. Um, I take a strong interest in, in exit interviews when people want to move on. And I, every now and again, talk to some of the individuals and say, well, we really enjoyed working here, but we want to go and do something else, something different. So I think employers like ourselves are going to have to compete in the future on, on satisfying this sort of inherent um, requirements of the market out there. And the market, I mean, um, uh, employees. And therefore, being fleet of foot and flexible with regard to how people at different stages of their careers work, how much time they work from home, um, what teams they work in, um, how you manage your teams internally. I'll give you an example. I've got construction teams that have a tradition of being very staid and very fixed as a project team. And we're, we've created more of an agile team structure where if there are particular issues on seven projects over here, put an agile team together that can deal with the issue in an innovative way outside of the conventional structure. These are the type of things you need to do more of. You can't really do that if you don't have that enabling culture of you're going to put, you're going to take people from seven different teams and put them together to innovate and they must be able to speak up. They mustn't walk into a room and be um, reluctant to speak because they don't know anyone else. You must create that commonality of culture whereby there's a set of invisible rules which everyone can play to. I mean, I, I, I love this type of thing and this is what we're aiming for. We, I think employers in the future have to think of 
ways to be more agile in terms of the operational practices. You can't be stayed. And you've got to really think innovatively on how to, um, how to attract people and make it as comfortable for them to work for you um, as you can. For my agency, that's, that's challenging at times because we can't pay the same level of salary that the private sector pays. So we, we go out of our way to think about how do we give, um, how do we give other forms of support? Um, so for example, we've got a scheme whereby if um, one, of, one of our employees that can't get home um, in time to pick up the kids from, uh, from, from, from daycare, can actually just call a line and someone picks up the kids for them and looks after them, sort of a, a childcare at short notice step-in facility. We, so, so we do things like that because we've got some mothers that say, well, I've got to pick up my kids at school, um, but I can't always respond um, to a challenge at work in the same way that my colleagues can. And doing things like this make people more comfortable in their workplace and, and facilitates that type of flexibility. Well, you said a couple of things that we hear, we've been hearing now more and more, Bill, which I just want to point out. And you've talked about this a few times. You've, not, you've talked about trust and being able to express yourselves possibly and feel comfortable doing so. But you've also talked about comfortable that they can do their jobs and that they're supportive. You know, we, we, we responded to this, seeing it happening in the last few years with our high performance teams and cultures leadership training program, which teaches a new way to lead in terms of building uh, a better sequence of communication, but also an environment of psychological safety and create and understanding the meeting and, and, and shared meaning of purpose between individuals and organization. And I think you're on your way to something quite special in doing that because we're also seeing and certainly this, these things take time, a change from compensation really being in the top two or three, it's rarely the, the most important criteria, to it kind of moving into that next tier or even a, a, a tier, you know, the third tier. And so I think you're onto something quite special. And if you continue to listen and innovate and figure it out, you're gonna be way ahead of not only, I would say government agencies, but organizations at large. Thanks, Marty. Really, really interesting stuff. My last question is uh, maybe more of a personal one, and that is, what's the one piece of advice, Phil, that you would give someone, uh, a young person, say, who's on their on the early stages of their journey to building a high performance kind of leadership or team culture type journey, uh, either as a, a you know in in their own business as a professional manager in the private or public sector, no matter what, what kind of counsel would you share with them? Yeah, so I mentor, um, I mentor students, I mentor young leaders in my organization and, and a few, few leaders that refer to me from other organizations. And you know, Marty, and again, forgive me, this may, be, this may sound like a well-trodden path, but there's just one thing that I think after many years that, that I really only now are starting to truly understand. And this is this thing about just being authentic, you know, just be authentic. Um, you know, you can, you can, there's so much for all of us to understand about 
how to how to lead and how to interact with other humans and um, you could and there's so much in MBA courses and leadership courses. all of that stuff is really really useful to help us to develop some competencies but you know at at the end of it all there's the people around you just they just want to know truly who you are truly what's expected of them and truly what is going to what you want from them and 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 what they can do and how they can do their best now i i i have in 30 years of my professional life not met one single person that gets up in the morning and says i'm going to go to work today and i'm going to be awfully difficult and i don't want to do anything with anyone i'm just going to upset everyone everyone comes to work to do something of value and and if if you're authentic and and if you can respond to to those very important things that people want to do and if you can lead authentic um you're in the right place and 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 even though i, I in this in this discussion with you marty i talked about listening i'm a terrible listener i'm a terrible i'm terrible at it um you know i'm and 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 knowing I'm terrible at listening has helped me a lot because I for <laughs> I force myself to listen when people talk, and and I think therefore really understanding who you are, really understand what you're trying to achieve, and then do it in an authentic way, is 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 just crucial. Well, I that that could not you could not have given better advice I think, and I think it's something that. Many of us who've been around doing this for a while have to unlearn maybe all the things that we've tried to be because we were told that's what we need to be to lead properly. And it, it might be just as simple as that. But what we've learned today so much is what, you know, your, your team is doing to engender trust. Uh, and of course, you're asking a lot of people today as you transform this system into what could end up being uh, iconic, I think, for, for the nation, let alone for greater Toronto and Hamilton area. Uh, but to, to build trust is, is certainly not an easy task. I think your focus today and, and uh, consistency on the hows over the what's to just do it. And people will recognize yeah. maybe even the failures, not just the successes as you, because that's how we learn, right? That Absolutely. We learn by doing and making mistakes. But I think more than anything, this authenticity that not only you have, uh, including admitting what, what I would call a shared area development for us both. <laughs> um, I think that possibly just maybe has had as much to do with engagement scores at Metrolinks going up almost 15 points over three short years and will likely continue on that kind of a percentage basis of growth uh, for as long as kind of you, you, uh, you commit to these things. So um, I think we've just had the great better understanding of you and the organization and what you're attempting to do, not necessarily on the management by objectives and what they are, but on the values and how you represent them through your culture. So thank you again, Bill Verster of Metrolinks for your candor, your authenticity and your time today. Thanks, Marty. It's so enjoyable to talk to you. We must talk about wine some other time again. We could do an entire session called Bill <laughs> Wine. So listen, I want to thank Phil again, and I want to ask you to join us next week for another episode of Building High Performance Cultures. But in the meantime, if you want to learn more about this, please visit our website 
at waterstonehc.com and may your future be bigger than your past. Thank you.